0: I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to a passage from the Old Testament today, Micah chapter 7, Micah chapter 7 verses one through seven. There we read these words: <clears throat> "Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, as the grape gleanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none." Upright among men, that all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man, his brother with a net, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar, The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchmen and thy visitation cometh. Now shall be their perplexity. Trust ye not in a friend, put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father, the daughter riseth up against her mother the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. I think it is safe to say that most of us find it difficult at times to swim against the popular sentiment and opinion of the majority in the world. It becomes a wearing battle at times to persevere in bearing witness to the cause of Christ against the world and against the corruption that has infiltrated even the church of Jesus Christ. Even when God grants us the courage to hold high his banner of truth and righteousness before the multitudes. The battle is relentless. It is relentless, and those who oppose are so numerous, it seems at times, that we are tempted to throw up our arms in defeat from sheer mental and spiritual exhaustion. We're tempted to say, in order to have a little peace, of mind in this life. I must let that truth go. Or I must give in to the influence of the world in that area of my life. Or I must give in to the demands that are made upon me by my family in that area and loosen up in that biblical conviction. Just this one little compromise for the sake of peace, we may say. It's so small. After all, I'm not selling out my whole faith. I just want to fit in with those at work or with those in my family or those within the church of Jesus Christ at large. After all, I may even have more opportunities in so doing to witness and to bear witness for Christ. A little compromise here, a little compromise there would also relieve me of a great deal of stress in my life. And I would surely be better able to have more of my life to give if I don't have so much pressure and stress due to these things. Have, dear ones, have not we all been tempted with similar thoughts? Dear ones, the constant bombardment of errors and ungodly living Coming at us from all directions is a warning that unless our minds are girded with the righteousness of Christ and with the truth of God's holy word, unless our hearts are enjoying day by day that blessed, sweet communion with Jesus Christ, unless we are watchful and not drowsy in identifying the very subtle temptations of the enemy, we will surely begin with one compromise and which will lead to another compromise and to another until we have conspicuously left Christ our first love to go after other lovers in this world. The attraction of the multitudes tugs at our heart. How could so many be so wrong? But the Lord our God reminds us from his word in Exodus 23, verse 2, Thou shalt not follow the multitude to do evil. Micah, here in chapter 7, the prophet Micah, declares the plight of the godly who are surrounded, so it seems, by ungodly speech, ungodly ideas, ungodly behavior wherever they turn. The Lord encourages Micah and those who are sincere followers of Jehovah God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow not the example of the wicked, but rather look in faith and hope to the Lord Jesus Christ. The main points from our our text today are these. First of all, the godly are hard to be found second the ungodly have formed a conspiracy third those most dear betray the godly and fourthly the Lord is the only hope of the godly The Lord was the only hope of the godly. Let us consider then our first main point. The godly are hard to be found. Look with me again at our text. in Micah chapter 7, verse 1 and 2a, the first part of verse 2. Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, As the grape gleanings of the vintage, there is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. In Micah chapter 6, verses 9 through 16, in the previous chapter, the Lord, having searched the hearts of Israel, his people, gave to them a most startling evaluation of their faith and life. Both of their faith and life, the Lord declares, were filled with hypocrisy. As a result, the Lord despised their acts of worship. And through his prophet Micah predicted that they would be given over to their own loves, to their own lovers, to their own pleasures. They would be given over to those particular things that they so heartily sought. And this would be their downfall. This would be the judgment that God would bring upon them that he would turn them over to what they want, which would take them further and further away from the Lord God. And then eventually he would deliver them over, even to their enemies, and use the Assyrians and the Babylonians as God's rod of judgment upon them for their sin. Having given the Lord's reaction to Israel's hypocrisy in Micah chapter 6, verses 9 through 16, the Lord now in chapter 7 gives a voice to the godly remnant within Israel. Who are represented by the voice of the prophet Micah. And he gives here the reaction of the godly to the hypocrisy that is seen within the church of Israel at that time. Here we see how the desires, the thoughts, and the words of God are reflected in the life of a faithful Christian. In fact, There are serious problems in the life of a Christian, dear ones, when his desires, thoughts, words, and behavior reflect more of the world around him than they do of Christ. For in the life of every true Christian, the Holy Spirit is at work gradually bringing his desires, his thoughts, his words, and behavior into conformity to that of Jesus Christ. Are you, dear ones, earnestly praying that God would remove those sinful desires in your heart and in your life and replace them with those holy desires? Are you seeking to avoid and replace those particular wicked desires, ungodly desires, with that which is righteous? Are you seeking to avoid the temptations? That would place you in a, put you in a place where you would be more easily tempted to fall into that temptation. Yes, there will continue, while we yet have breath in this life, to be a battle raging within us between our sinful desires of the flesh and the Spirit of God, according to Paul in Galatians 5, verse 17. There is a battle going on in all of our hearts as Christians. Yes, we will struggle with sin as Christians. Yes, we will even fall into sin as Christians. Yet, dear ones, the Christian does not remain in that sin. He repents and he turns from that sin. And there will be the operation of the Spirit of God in our lives ever stirring up faith and godly sorrow within us. Sending us back to Jesus Christ who has already purchased our sanctification that is conformity to Christ just as he has already purchased our justification through Christ's righteousness and forgiveness of all of our sin. Note the desperate cry of the faithful remnant through the voice of Micah in Micah 7.1 Woe is me. Woe is me. Here Micah and the godly with him bewail the time of apostasy in which they live. They are not comfortable in that time of apostasy. They find it difficult to live in that time of apostasy and backsliding from the one true living God. They're not trying to fit in with the backslidden nation and church, but rather they grieve and sorrow over the unfaithfulness they see all around them. Their hearts are broken over the sin that they see within the church and the sin they see in their nation and in the world and their neighbors. And especially they're grieved over the sin that they see in their own lives. Micah compares himself and the godly remnant of Israel to one seeking grapes after the time of harvest. Those who are faithful among God's people, Micah is saying, were as rare as a cluster of grapes upon a vine after the time of reaping. In chapter 7, verse 1. What Micah is saying about the time of apostasy in which he lived is that a faithful man, not a sinless man, for there is no sinless man, but a faithful man, a faithful woman, a faithful child, one who is sincere in his faith and life, that seeks to shun all hypocrisy in his life, that loves God, that loves God's truth, that loves the brethren with an unfeigned love, is a rare person. It's like that cluster, trying to find that cluster of grapes after after the harvest. In fact, he's so rare that he appears to have perished entirely from the face of the earth. Micah says in verse 2, the good man is perished out of the earth and there is none upright among men. There was, there's a similar ring in the sentiments of Elijah. You recall in First Kings chapter 19 verse 10 that we had looked at recently that Elijah has come to the place where he says, Lord, I feel like I'm all alone. They've destroyed your prophets. They don't care about your covenant. They don't care about your commandments. They don't care about following you any longer. I feel all alone. Elijah gave expression to the same type of, of sentiments that we find here delivered by the prophet Micah. Was this not the case, dear ones, with many of those who are faithful In times of backsliding as we look through the scripture, Noah stood against the entire world at that time. Elijah stood on Mount Carmel and would not back down even when 450 prophets of Baal opposed him. Micaiah that we read of just earlier, the prophet Mattiah testified against 400 false prophets before King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat. Jeremiah the prophet seemed to stand alone in bearing witness against the apostasy in Judah. The little flock of Jesus Christ, the apostles, the disciples of Christ, that little flock was to find fierce opposition, not only from Israel, but from Rome. The entire world was against this little flock of Jesus Christ as they went out. The two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 are that faithful remnant that will speak on behalf of Christ for 1,260 years, we're told, against the many corruptions in the church and state. But they're identified as simply two witnesses. That doesn't mean they're only two literal people, but it's a small group in comparison to those who stand against them. And I've used this example before in sermons, but it was that great defender of the Orthodox faith, Athanasius, back around 325 A.D., who was told, The world is against you, Athanasius, to which Athanasius replied, Then Athanasius is against the world. If in standing for Christ the world stands against us, then we must stand against the world. Calvin wrote, from a perspective of being in a small, faithful minority, when he said, quote, It is an offense to a great many people that they see almost the whole world opposed to us. Standing for the truth. Dear ones, shall we give up our biblical testimony because the majority disagree with us? Shall we conclude that we must be wrong because the biblical truths once defended by faithful Reformed churches are no longer popular? God forbid. The saints of old were given God's grace to stand faithful. We must likewise, in times of apostasy, stand faithful We must expect to be in a minority when there is apostasy rampant. In times of reformation, it is true that the church increases and many come to Christ in times of reformation. But in times of apostasy, we must expect that we will be a few. Even as Joshua and Caleb gave a faithful report, two of them, while ten witnesses were unfaithful and gave an evil report. concerning the land of promise. The desire of the godly, dear ones, is ever expressed in the word of of the Lord to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 6.16 where it says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. The question then for the faithful is not whether the majority walk with us. They don't. But rather, the question is, do we walk with the Lord and with His faithful witnesses who have have upheld the truth, witnesses from the past in promoting and defending the cause of Christ? Our second main point is this the ungodly have formed a conspiracy? Look with me, Micah chapter 7, the second half of verse 2 through verse 4. They all lie in wait for blood, they hunt every man his brother with a net, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar, the most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchmen and thy visitation cometh, now shall be their perplexity. Micah is saying that Israel had joined hands together to oppress and to defraud the weaker brethren among them, the poor, the helpless, the fatherless, the widow. They commit their heinous deeds of theft, cheating, lying, covenant-breaking, and bringing suits against the poor and the helpless, not with one hand, but they join hands together. They vigorously join hands together to do that which is evil. Micah says in chapter 7, verse 3, Sad to say, dear ones, the ungodly are often more earnest and more committed in loving that which is contrary to the word of God than we are earnest and committed in loving that which is found in the word of God. So often the wicked and the ungodly are more committed to their cause than we are to ours. And as a result, we see the church of Jesus Christ suffering so much because we are not as committed as we ought to be. The world has its agenda and it is going forth enthusiastically, zealously, to accomplish its agenda. Are we carrying forth with equal enthusiasm and zeal the agenda that Christ has given to us in taking the gospel to all nations and to discipling all nations, instructing and teaching all nations, beginning even in our homes, spreading out to our Jerusalem, Albany, and beyond Albany to the ends of the world. It is no surprise to find people dear ones, in Israel here hating their brethren in such demonstrable ways when the leaders themselves set the example by perverting justice due to the, that's due to the poor, by taking bribes from the wealthy to oppress the poor. Micah demonstrates that the wicked conspire together to satisfy their own goals. And that's what it means when it says, so they wrap it up. They conspire. The ungodly have weaved a plan. They've they've, they've wrapped it up, this plan, together to further their own selfish desires. They are busy in wickedness and error. Are we, dear ones, busy in righteousness and truth? All goals to further a man-centered agenda is a conspiracy to do evil. And it all began when Satan conspired to be like God. It is not only civil leaders, however, that may be guilty of taking bribes, as is spoken here. Dear ones, pastors and elders may take bribes when they show respect and favoritism to a member of the congregation because of what he or she can give financially, but do not treat other members of the congregation with the same respect and love even if they cannot give. That's taking a bribe for a minister or an elder. It's perverting justice. It's saying that the pastor's care and love for his congregation is based upon what that person can give rather than upon the fact that Jesus Christ has given even the smallest, the weakest sheep into the care of that pastor who is an under-shepherd, under Christ Jesus, the good shepherd. All of us can take bribes as well, dear ones, when out of fear of man or out of a desire to receive the applause of men, we're willing to compromise what we believe is the truth. That's taking a bribe from men. When we're not willing to stand for what is right, we have taken a bribe. Dear ones, the enemy of your soul has conspired with the world to overthrow your faith in Jesus Christ. Not only by means of persecution and affliction that comes into your life, but he has conspired to overthrow your faith in Jesus Christ by means of your comfort and security that you want and desire. By means of your success and prestige in life, the attainments that you reach. By means of your wealth and your riches by means of love and your pleasures that you desire, by by means of the love you have for your music, by means of the love you have for your TV programs, By, by means of the love you have for your sports stars, movie stars, music stars. By means of the love you have for yourself, there is a conspiracy in all of those by all of those means to overthrow your faith in Jesus Christ and therefore we must be ever vigilant. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 concerning this very thing and how the enemy works and what he uses to overthrow our faith. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, trucebreakers, And such turn away, dear ones. We have these that things that that we can use that we've just mentioned that God does give by way of gifts and and, and by way of blessing in this life, comfort and security, success and prestige, wealth and riches, uh, certain pleasures, music. These are things that God gives to us to enjoy, but not to abuse. These are things that God gives to us to use for his glory, but not to become so engrossed in these things that they become our God that we bow down before and worship and that they take precedence in our life over the word of God and the truth of God and the righteousness of God. We also have enemies within our soul. The Bible calls it the flesh, that sin that yet remains within us, that drives us to follow the multitudes, to do evil and to conform to the world's standards, to want to fit in, want to fit in in walking the broad way, the broad way which leads to destruction rather than walking the narrow way which leads to everlasting life. If we are not sober-minded, dear ones, if we are not wise to the devil's schemes, we will walk right into his trap. And we will be overwhelmed and overcome by all of these types of sins that the enemy will lay before us. Micah declares that a time of reckoning is coming to Israel when both the watchmen, that is the civil and ecclesiastical leaders, as well as the common people, will endure the day of God's righteous visitation of judgment for the backsliding that they have committed against God. Remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, verse 17, the judgment must come, but it will begin with the house of God. It will begin with the house of God. Let us never, dear ones, take lightly the fact that there is within us all that possibility, that yearning, the sin that cries within us to reach out and to have the pleasures of this life to such an extent that we would be willing to turn our backs upon God. Let us never be like Peter who said, Lord, I will never deny you. Let us be wise, vigilant, ever looking and watching that we could fall into that sin. The third main point is this. Those most dear to us, those most dear betray the godly. Look with me at Micah 7, verses 5 and 6. Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father. The daughter riseth up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Micah now declares what must be among the most painful experiences of a child of God. To be betrayed... By a relative or friend so near and dear to them. One whom you thought embraced the same truths, professed the same faith, expressed the same desires, but who, in times of persecution or in times of apostasy, turns his or her back on the truth once professed and becomes an opponent rather than a proponent of the truth, once embraced. Can there be, dear ones, a deeper wound incurred than to have a trusted friend or counselor, a wife or a husband, a child or a parent fall away from the truth that they once embraced? Here is where the Lord, dear ones, this is where the Lord tests our love and faith to the maximum degree. For most of us would rather know the pain of losing one in death than to lose a loved one through betrayal of the truth of Christ. For they turn their backs upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The unfaithful acts of a a spouse, dear ones, is far more difficult to face than even the death of that spouse. In a marriage, for a husband or a wife to be unfaithful is so much more difficult to bear because that husband or wife that's been unfaithful continues to live. It's much more difficult to bear than even the death Of that same one. But dear ones, even such betrayal does not happen by accident. It does not happen without a divine purpose. And so even in the midst of that, in whom is our faith? Who is our first love? Even in times like that, is our love Is our life, our joy, our peace, our contentment all wrapped up in that person? I can assure you, dear ones, if that is the case, that you will never recover. You'll never recover from the wound and the pain of that betrayal. (coughs) You'll never know the peace of God that passeth all understanding. The Lord brings, dear ones, such painful experiences into our lives in order to drive us to Him. Define to in Him our life, our peace, our joy, and our contentment. Is there anything in your life, dear ones, that you are not willing to give up for the sake of the cause of Jesus Christ? Is there anything she would say? I'm willing to follow Christ in every area, but this I will not follow him in this area. God certainly does not take everything from us when we come to Christ in faith, but we must be willing. We must be willing to give up everything if he should take it from us. From that which is most dear to us, to even dividing our family to even bringing a sword, as Jesus said, he brings within families at times for the cause and the sake of Jesus Christ. Even that loved one who lies close to our bosom. What are we willing to sacrifice in in order to follow Jesus Christ? Was it not the rich young ruler's unwillingness, dear ones, to give up all for Christ? that revealed his lack of faith? And on the other hand, was it not the widow's willingness to give up her last two mites that revealed the presence of her faith? Beloved, the Lord our God was willing to give up His Son for you. That which was most precious to Him He gave up for you. How can we withhold a our willingness to give up even that which is most precious to him or to us. Are you yet in perhaps some pain over a betrayal? I urge you and encourage you to come to the sympathetic high priest who was betrayed by one of his own and was betrayed with a kiss by one of his own, even Judas. Come to Christ, dear ones, and cast all your cares upon him today, for he cares for you. And he will be a friend that sticks closer to you than a brother. The final main point is this. The Lord is the only hope of the godly. Look with me at Micah 7.7. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation my God will hear me. Micah does not leave the faithful remnant in Israel, nor the faithful remnant today, with a sense of loss. But rather, he leaves us with a sense of gain. Not what we have given up, but what we have. Because if we have the Lord Jesus Christ, dear ones, we have everything. If we lose the whole world, we have gained everything in Christ. We have gained everlasting life. We have gained Him who is most precious, who has loved us with an everlasting love, whose love has never, ever failed us. Remember what the Lord Jesus said. What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? When the faithful see the example of the unfaithful all around them, tempting them to compromise just a little in their faith, just a little bit in their way they live, their practice, the faithful are exhorted to look to the Lord who is ever faithful. In Micah seven seven. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will look unto the Lord. Likewise, we find the same truth in Psalm twenty seven verse ten. When my mother, I'm sorry, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Even when those who are most close and dear to us forsake us, the Lord will take us up. He who trusts in the Lord will not be disappointed. There was only the Lord Jesus Christ cannot be taken from you. Everything else in this world can be taken from you and will be taken from you when you die. You'll lose everything. You'll not take any of this life with you. Only Christ cannot be taken from you. I close, dear ones, with this thought today. In order to present our lives as living sacrifices to Christ, even to the point of forsaking all to follow Jesus Christ, we must learn to see ourselves more and more as strangers, aliens, and pilgrims in this world. According to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, we must grow in seeing that this world is not our home as we The song goes, we're just passing through. Our home is in heaven. And we want to go there. We want to be with our Savior. He calls us to live to his glory while we're here upon the earth. But our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is with Christ in heaven. We must pray. Not only do must grow in our profession, but we must pray for a firm conviction and realization of that particular truth. So that the things in this life that do not go the way that we wanted them to go do not upheave and overturn our faith in Jesus Christ. What do we expect when we are aliens and pilgrims in a foreign land We're not going to be treated like kings and princes in a foreign land. That's why we look forward to heaven where all sin will be removed, all pain and heartache. Every tear will be wiped away. We'll never again be tempted with the temptation to sin against our God. Our hearts will overflow with love unfeigned, unpretended toward God will desire to run here and there to please Him in every way we possibly can and will continue to grow in in the grace and the knowledge of God for all eternity there will not be one person there who senses that they lost anything when they're in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything will be gained to them. Whatever, dear ones, therefore you must sacrifice here upon the earth to gain Christ. It is the wisest spiritual investment you could ever make. It's an investment that will never be lost. It's an investment that will be multiplied millions of times over for all eternity. Dear ones, I ask you today, where is your home? Where is your home? Please stand with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, glorious, be thy most holy name. Thou hast taught us today the plight of those who stand for righteousness and truth, those who come to Christ and seek to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an easy walk. O Lord, thou hast not promised us that it would be comfortable to be a Christian. Thou hast not promised us in this life that it would, that we would not have pain and heartache. But Thou hast pro- promised us, O Lord, that Jesus Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. Thou hast promised, O Lord, that there will be a time when we will share all of the blessings of heaven and all the, the things of this life will pass away. And we will say, it was worth it all. Whatever we sacrificed, whatever we gave up was really no sacrifice at all when compared to the glories of heaven and everlasting life. Our Lord, we pray that Thou would give us eyes to behold the glory of Christ. That we make not foolish decisions in following the paths of unrighteousness and wickedness and error that we not compromise, Lord, the truth of Jesus Christ, that we be willing to stand firm, committed to the Lord, even as the wicked are committed to their agenda and plan. Lord, may we be more committed to the agenda and plan of Christ. We ask, Lord, that Thou would hear our prayer. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.